everyone, and welcome to Traffic Jam. It's Isabel uh, here, as always, and I'm joined by Georgia. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for coming back to this podcast if you've been listening. And if you're just finding this episode, welcome to our show. We're super excited for this episode in particular. As I'm sure many of you know or have heard, back in March, there was a report released by the UN And there was a lot of controversy around it. There were many Twitter posts and blog posts claiming that the UN was decriminalizing sex with minors, which this can obviously have severe consequences and is a particular danger to children. So today we're going to talk a little bit more about the controversy and investigate if these claims have any accuracy. We are going to take you on our research journey with us, um, and we're going to be learning about this topic live as we're recording. All right, hopefully you guys can all grab a coffee or a Starbucks and sit down with us. It's like you're in our research session. All right, so a little bit of background. In March of this year, the UN released a report titled The Eight March Principles for a Human Rights-Based Approach to Criminal Law uh, Prescribing Conduct Associated with Sex, Reproduction, drug use, HIV, homelessness, and poverty. And since uh, there have been several claims that this report that the UN released calls for decriminalizing sexual activity between adults and minors. So this claim began with an April 14th blog post titled UN report calls for decriminalization of all sexual activity, including between adults and children which cited specific passages of a document issued by the International Commission of Jurists in March. The claim quickly circulated across all social media platforms, including Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. There was even a tweet that read, the United Nations issued this report calling on member nations to decriminalize sex between adults and minors. This was shared more than 7,600 times. And there was another post that said, should adults be allowed to convince kids to perform sex acts with them? The UN says yes. So this is obviously a huge issue. And when I I mean, I saw this all over TikTok, I was super concerned uh, in the direction that the UN was going. Now, the part of the document that people are turning to um, is a section that reads, the document calls uh, for enforcing criminal law related to minimum age of consent in a non-discriminatory way and that enforcement not be linked to the sex gender of participants or age of consent to marriage. Which, I mean, when you just read that section, sounds like age of consent to marriage can't be used to say uh, that a child can't consent to sex, Uh, which at least here, like in the U.S., Not only do we have, you know, an age of consent to marriage, but we also have an age of consent to sex. So my question is, you know, what about that part? Um, And does that also count as discrimination? Those are some very good questions to have on this. I think we need to really go slow and break it down because language matters so much, especially terminology in documentation like this. But before we look at the actual document, has the UN responded to these claims at all? Okay. So, yes, I found an AP News article that talks about uh, the claims that are being made by the public. Um, It's giving their take on the issue, and then it's quoting officials 
who have directly responded to this issue. So in this article, it quotes somebody from the International Commission of Jurists um, who stated that the March 8 principles do not call for the decriminalization of sex with children, nor do they call for the abolition of a domestically prescribed minimum age of consent to sex. Uh, Indeed, the ICJ stresses that states have a clear obligation under international law to protect children from all forms of abuses, such as child uh, sexual abuse, including through the criminalization of such conduct. So according to people from the International Commission on Jurists, they claim that the report does not call for decriminalizing sex against children. So there is some kind of like disconnect here between like what the public is talking about and understanding versus what officials are coming out and saying. Okay, so do we know on what grounds that the public is making these pretty major claims? Well, so it's specifically that part that I mentioned earlier about when the document calls for enforcing criminal law related to minimum age of consent in a non-discriminatory way and it specifically you know says that it can't be linked to sex or gender of participants or age of consent to marriage so I actually see here something that helps well we'll see if it helps but gives an example of what a situation might look like where like discrimination uh, would come into play. So this is something from Aaron Murphy, a law professor at New York University, who uh, she concurred that the document is actually a strong statement in favor of enforcing these laws against sex with minors. Um, and she helps provide some clarity and further says that it's a statement that says, if you set a minimum age of consent you shouldn't allow people to evade it by getting married. She said, noting that some U.S. states don't have a minimum age for marriage, which can serve as a legal loophole to age of consent laws. Okay, so I think this is actually maybe too broad in the way they word things. But given that it's the U.N., they do have to keep in mind respect of different cultures and how people marry, basically, in other cultures. So they can't even really define an age of consent on a global basis. So they're mentioning the age of consent, but they're not actually saying what the age of consent is or should be or recommending one, which is pretty difficult to do given every culture is different around the world. So, well, what uh, Aaron Murphy is saying is that what the document is talking about is that... uh, age of consent to sex is going to remain and you can't bypass it by getting married. So let's say there's an, okay. So let's say there's a state in the U S that doesn't have a minimum age to get married. Mm -hmm. So two people at 16 decide to get married, but the age of consent, let's say is either, you know, 17 or 18. What the document is saying is you can't avoid 
or evade the standard for consenting to sex by getting married at 16. Age of consent to sex should still apply, according to the document. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. So I have the actual document open. Okay. That would be helpful to have. Yes. So keep in mind this document, as Isabel mentioned, talks about a lot more than just consent and sex. There's a whole other list of issues that they tried to address in this document. So we're just picking at a very small particular part and how it relates to basically criminal law. Okay, so the report goes on to say that sexual activity involving people below a minimum age of consent may be consensual, in fact, if not in law. So this is the part that starts to confuse me because they talk about how you can't use marriage as a way to bypass age of consent laws. But then sexual activity involving people below the minimum age of consent may be consensual, in fact, if not in law. If this, um, in this context, the enforcement of criminal law should reflect the rights and capacity of persons under 18 years of age to make decisions about engaging in consensual sexual conduct and their rights to be heard in matters concerning them. So that's, and that's from the actual document. So how this document actually defines consent is they say that at a minimum, consent sets the boundary between justifiable and unjustifiable state interference in certain conducts and contexts, and that ascertaining the presence or absence of consent is a matter of evidence and factual investigation with due regard to the structures of the law and one's capacity and one's capability to consent. They acknowledge the absence of consent may give rise to criminal liability for the conduct concerned. So basically, consent is required and it's a matter of evidence and factual investigation before the state can justifiably get involved. I'm going to break that down. Uh Consent sets the boundary for the state to interfere in certain contexts. And then further, ascertaining the presence or absence of consent is a matter of evidence and factual investigation. So that's interesting because how do you have factual investigation on whether it's hard for somebody to say, who are you going to believe? He he said, she said yes, but she said, she said no. I can't. Right. If something were to go to trial or something were to be questioned, it would be very hard to have hardcore evidence right, about a situation like this. Yes. And then they say, with due regard to the structures of the law and one's capability to consent. So it's back to that capability. So how do you define somebody's capability to consent? Does the document define capability as far as you're aware? Um, not that I've seen. They do say there was something adolescents evolving capacity to consent in certain contexts. In fact, even if not in law, when they are below the prescribed minimum age of consent in domestic law. See, that's the part that I was saying confuses me. 
mm-hmm. because then essentially it's saying, but actually we're going to have an exception for age of consent and saying that, well, some people, they just can, they can, they have the capacity all of a sudden to be able to consent. Because adolescents have this evolving capacity as they state in the document. So there's no way for them to set a real age of consent or even to respect a real age of consent because they're saying adolescents have this evolving capacity to consent, even if it's not in law. That's Those are words that they wrote. Which, I mean, that starts to get, that starts to get really murky because, again, how are you sure that, you know, they have capacity? Or what if somebody, an adult figure, is claiming capacity to then allow for sexual conduct with a child? Right, like there's no cut and dry way of defining that because this basically says every situation is different and some may be more mature than others and able to make those types of decisions for themselves where others may not. So then do we have to prove force fraud or coercion for criminal action to be taken? So that so earlier in the episode we mentioned that you know that blog post that was originally released talking about this um that really got the ball rolling on this claim that the report is suggesting uh decriminalizing sex with minors and what officials and what Aaron Murphy the law professor is saying is that um this exception or this allowing some people to consent um below the uh age of consent um does not mean that children can just consent to sex with older adults. Officials are saying that the blog post and the claims of the document decriminalizing sex with minors, which increases danger for children as there's one less protection in place for kids against predatory adults, is not accurate. Instead, the document is addressing the recognition of normalcy amongst minors who are engaging with sex with one another. So, again, so what Aaron Murphy says is, um, if the age of consent in a jurisdiction is set at 18 or 17, but in that jurisdiction, you know it's not uncommon for high school juniors to have sexually um, intimate relationships with high school freshmen, then you can run into real opportunities for enforcement bias or just to turn what are really on their face consensual sexual relationships into acts of illegality. So they're essentially the document saying, well, in some cases where let's say, you know, a 17-year-old and a 15-year-old are in a relationship and they want to have sex, that should be allowed if the two people are able to make that informed decision because of this evolving capacity that now as the document claims, young people are obtaining. Right. And I think people can accept that more, but what makes this, but what makes this report so, I guess, controversial in itself is that they're not saying these things specifically in the report. It's kind of that murky, broad language that doesn't say 
this is the age of consent. Here it will be followed, like it doesn't put any restrictions on say age differences for people above the age of 18 having sex with possibly people below the age of 18. Because when that 17 year old and that 15 year old, if they continue their relationship, eventually it can be deemed inappropriate as an adult having sex with a minor. Right. So Christine Stegling from UNAIDS, uh, Deputy Executive uh, Director for Policy, Advocacy, and Knowledge, said um, in a statement uh, to uh, AP News, in the application of law, it is recognized that criminal sanctions are not appropriate against adolescents of similar age for consensual, non-exploitative sexual activity. So it sounds like this was largely to address situations where it's two minors in a relationship engaging in sex. Which I see that in principle 16, which is consensual sexual conduct. It does say that in this context, the enforcement of criminal law should reflect the rights and capacity of persons under 18 years of age to make decisions about engaging in consensual sexual conduct and their right to be heard in matters concerning them. Pursuant to their evolving capacities and progressive autonomy, persons under 18 years of age should participate in decisions affecting them with due regard to their age, maturity, and best interests, and with specific attention to non-discrimination guarantees. Does it say anything about like child versus adult? sexual activity because I understand if you know if two people are under the age of 18 and they're in a relationship and they're engaging in sexual conduct I mean that's I would say relatively common at least here in the U.S. for like something like that to occur and so I can see how this report might be seen as kind of like staying up to date with the times and what has become normal practice because I mean just in general I feel like in the U.S. and in a lot of other countries people have become more open to discussing topics of sex and so you know so now you see a lot of young people um, engaging in sex at younger and younger ages so I can see where the document would want to address situations of two minors Again, going back to the question, does it say anything about somebody being over the age of consent and under the age of consent? Or does, it, does the document seem to be a little bit unclear on that? So in principle 16, it's not clear. It doesn't identify two minors or two adults or an adult and a minor. Um, they do say with respect to the enforcement of criminal law, any prescribed minimum age of consent to sex must be applied in a non-discriminatory manner. Enforcement may not be linked to the sex or gender of the participants or age of consent to marriage. So it's kind of like repeating what we had already discussed, but in principle 17, okay, which principle 17 is actually about sex work. So the thing that I see here that's interesting to me is In sex work, they say the exchange of sexual services between consenting adults for money, goods, or services and communication with 
another about advertising an offer for or sharing premises with another for the purpose of exchanging sexual services between consenting adults for money, goods, or services, whether in a public or private place, may not be criminalized, absent, coercion, force, abuse of authority, or fraud. So in sex work, they make sure to say consenting adults. Which, okay, that would make sense because when you think about who is spending money on sex workers, it's primarily, it would largely be adults, I would imagine. Right, but you and I both know that there are people out there below the age of 18 who are soliciting prostitutes. Exactly, so I'm trying to piece this together. So. Because it would make sense that they that the report would make it clear that it that sex work would only include consenting adults, only because in that kind of situation, then you would likely fall into something where it's an adult purchasing sex or any kind of uh, sexually explicit acts from another person who could potentially be a minor, and so it's making it clear that children people under the age of consent cannot be considered sex workers and could be and their services could be purchased by adults which then the report would then be you know admitting for sex between children and adults but it's making it clear in the situation where it could be more likely to be between an adult and a child then that children cannot be sex workers because that would then be a situation where they're likely being exploited. Does that make sense, what I said? Yes, it makes sense. But if they could bear, like, clarify the whole sex work must be between adults consenting, what's the difference between that and setting some type of standard in consensual sexual conduct besides saying below the age of consent? Because in reality, like we kind of touched on, a 16-year-old people view as an adult mm-hmm. would be having sex with a 21 year old well and that's and- what i think is kind of unclear in the report like when we are reading the commentary it's very clear that you know it needs to be more on like a case-by-case basis when we're talking about two people who are minors um and just to not actually criminalize somebody for something that really is two people um engaging um, and sexual activity, but who both who both want it. But then it's like, okay, like you said, what if it's 21 and 16? What's the difference between saying somebody who's 45 approaching a 15-year-old online and they consent because they think they're in a relationship or a loving relationship? Maybe it is a loving relationship. They meet up and they both consent there in person to have sex when do we draw the line is there a line that's what we need to figure out next (laughs) because like you i mean exactly this i can this there's not clear lines set in place even though this is seeming to be well intended um and essentially to not criminalize children then well what happens if 21 and 16 are okay? Well, that could very easily be an exploitative situation. And how are we determining that? Right. We're basically 
using consent as an umbrella to allow for things because it's very difficult to factually prove with evidence what consent is. Even if somebody says yes in a text message or an online private message, they could still say no in person. The controversy comes from understanding what the capacity is for somebody under the age to consent. Because you could read this document in different perspectives and you can make the argument either way. So I think what's raising the controversy in this report is not that it doesn't say that kids under the age of 18 or under the age of consent don't have the ability to consent in having sex with each other. It's saying that there's no boundary set between somebody under the age of 18 to consent or have any capacity to consent with to have sex with somebody over the age of 18. Like it doesn't say that adults and children can have sex, but it also doesn't say that they can't have sex, which is the issue here. It seems like it's a little bit vague in saying that somebody under the age of consent might actually be able to consent. And I'm assuming it's saying it's kind of up to the courts in these situations um and so there could be and what I think a lot of people online are concerned about is situations where if adults take advantage of this um if there aren't clear lines in place to where it could potentially lead to increased exploitation uh towards children Yes, I think that's exactly where all of the confusion and anger lies. There was actually a letter written to the U.S. ambassador to the U.N. after this report was released that pretty much argues against what this report is saying. I'm not going to read the whole letter. I'm just going to kind of read the highlights so we can understand the counter argument. The report also contains a recommendation on consensual sexual conduct. That recommendation states, sexual conduct involving persons below the domestically prescribed minimum age of consent to sex may be consensual in fact, if not in law, and that enforcement of criminal law should reflect the rights and capacity of persons under 18 years of age to make decisions about engaging in consensual sexual conduct. This flies in the face of laws across the United States and much of the world affirms that all manners of sex between children and adults are coercive. It also contradicts Article 34 of the United Nations own Convention on the Rights of the Child that obligates nations to protect children from all forms of sexual exploitation and sexual abuse. In contrast, there is a growing recognition for the need to protect children from sexual exploitation and has led to numerous nations raising the legal age of consent. This accurately reflects that children do not have the mental capacity to recognize the consequences of sexual intercourse and, given this understanding, the ability to make a knowing choice. And then they provide examples of Canada raising the age of consent from 14 to 16, and then Iceland raised seven Lithuania raised theirs in 2010 Croatia in 2013 Spain in 2015 and Estonia in 2022 
So to break this down, so that was so that was a lot. And I love that it gives examples, the recent examples too, of countries actually raising their minimum age. But do you want to go ahead and like break that letter down just like a little bit more into into pieces? Okay. So they gave that quote from the article that we have read a couple times already. And then it's saying that much of the world affirms that all manners of sex between children and adults are coercive. So the argument here is that adults and children cannot have consensual sex because there is some form of coercion. So this brings out that anger in the broad writing of the original document saying that adolescents have this evolving capacity to consent and it doesn't specify if they're having sex with adults or with each other because as we've mentioned people know that kids under the age of 18 are having sex Mm -hmm. at least with each other it's when they are having sex with a person over the age of 18 where the concern comes in and that's not outlined in the un report and I will say, like, that, so the ICJ has come out and responded to the claims saying that this document, you know, does not support children and adults having sex. While the document is not as clear as it could be, their response is, that's not the intent of this uh, report. And instead... An ICJ spokesperson said uh, via an email that uh, principles in the report were drawn up as a framework for lawmakers around the world to focus on consensual sexual activities between adolescents, generally considered uh, around the ages of 10 to 18. Uh, And then, uh, and the whole reason for that is that globally, you have actually at least half of adolescents are sexually active. Uh, before turning 18. And the spokesperson continues to say that most countries have legislated an age in which an adolescent is deemed to be able to consent to engage in sexual activity. There is no unif- uh, there is no uniformly applied or accepted age with ages ranging from 11, which is, um, at least when this article was written, uh, Nigeria's age, uh, 16 uh, for the UK and 20 for South Korea. So countries have all varying ages of which they have set to be acceptable minimum ages. And then in Canada, for example, the age of consent is 16, but they have two close in age exceptions uh, to prevent consenting adolescents. And this is, I think, what the report is intended to do, but was a little bit vague, is to... uh, prevent consenting adolescent peers from gaining a criminal record. Um, That same spokesperson added, an adolescent between 12 to 13 years can consent to sexual activity with a person not more than two years older than them. This is according to Canada's exception laws. And an adolescent between 14 to 15 years can consent to sexual activity with somebody not more than five years older than them. And so what the report is trying to do is make relevant these exceptions that, you know, Canada has put in place, uh, which specify that, you know, close in age exceptions uh, might uh, be acceptable. I I want to look up Article 34 of the UN's Convention on the Rights of the Child. 
states parties undertake to protect the child from all forms of sexual exploitation and sexual abuse. For these purposes, states parties shall in particular take all appropriate national bilateral and multilateral measures to prevent the inducement or coercion of a child to engage in any lawful, unlawful sexual activity, the exploitative use of children in prostitution or other unlawful sexual practices, and the exploitative use of children in pornographic performances and materials. So what this thing is arguing is that the inducement or coercion of a child to engage in any lawful, any unlawful sexual activity. Basically, I think that this side is arguing that it's, I, they're not arguing anything between minors having sex. Mm -hmm. Their outrage is that it left the door open for an adult to have a relationship with a child, which they argue can only be a coercive relationship. So therefore, they're breaking Article 34. So to kind of wrap up the controversy and ICJ response, the claim was that this report decriminalizes sex with minors. And the language as we have, you know, read the document is a little bit unclear. And the ICJ has come out to say that their intent was not to actually decriminalize uh, sex with minors for adults. And instead, they claim that they support criminalization of adults having sex with minors. However, what it sounds like in their response is, is that their goal was to ensure that minors engaging in sex weren't ending up with a criminal record for doing so. And essentially addressing the fact that there are a lot of uh, countries or states that have certain age-related exceptions to their minimum age law, like Canada. So the age of consent is 16. When you're 16, you can have sex with whoever you want. If you're 12 to 13, you can consent to sex, but they can only be two years older than you. If you're 14 or 15, you can consent to sex, but there's a restriction. It can only, they can't be more than five years older than you. I don't agree with that. However, I understand what they were trying to say. So going back to that, the 16-year-old mm. can consent to having sex with anybody, so they can consent to having sex with a 45-year-old who grew Correct. Them. According to this law, just from what this article says, and there might be more exceptions somewhere in there that are not stated here, which makes sense that they don't want minors end up with a criminal record for something that you know two minors they agreed to they're in a relationship um you know especially when you know you have you look at the context of today's world and you have half or more than half um, of minors engaging in sexual activities with their peers with all that being said there are some core issues that we at least have with the uh, official document that was released despite you know the ICJ coming out and responding to all of these claims the document still in and of itself is very vague which I think can then lead to a lot of harmful situations for children Georgia I don't know if you want to go ahead and expand on that a little bit yes so I'm going to read the little so I'm going to read the last bit of this letter that was written to our UN ambassador in the U.S. And we could call this a slippery slope, I think, because you see how fast this 
this report was taken the wrong way. The ICJ report gives credence to abhorrent pedophiles and sexual predators who claim that their vile acts should be decriminalized because children would be able to consent to sex. So the argument is, given their broad verbiage. Do you want to go ahead word. and read the verbiage one more time just, just to help let it like sink in just how vague it really is? Sexual conduct involving persons below the domestically prescribed minimum age of consent to sex may be consensual, in fact, if not in law. The enforcement of criminal law should reflect the rights and capacity of persons under 18 years of age to make decisions about engaging in consensual sexual conduct and their right to be heard in matters concerning them. Pursuant to their evolving capacities and progressive autonomy, persons under 18 years of age should participate in decisions affecting them with due regard to their age, maturity, and best interests, and with specific attention to non-discrimination guarantees. So I can see how, you know, the ICJ would respond by saying that this document is intended to ensure that minors who are peers aren't being criminalized, but at the same time... But at the same time, they're saying they can give consent and not verifying if they're giving consent to anybody including above 18 years old, 10 years older than them, 20 years older than them, or if it's just explicitly among minors or within two to five years, like we saw in the Canada example. Right, like if, if it really was the intent for, you know, this to remain amongst, you know, minor to minor interactions, why was that, why is that not explicit? Right, like why was... Why were they able to make it explicit in principle 17 where they discussed sex work explicitly be explicitly being between adults? They didn't make it as explicit in principle 16. Exactly. And so now we run into a situation where, as you know, you mentioned that the letter stated pedophiles um, or people looking to exploit children can now use this UN report potentially as leverage to state that, you know, well, now minors might actually be able to consent to sex, even if by law, you know, the minimum age, let's say, is 17. Well, maybe now potentially a 15-year-old can. And not to totally give away too much for our next topic, but, I mean, this is a very prevalent example of something like this occurring in terms of child marriage, which, um, as we'll hear about more later, does occur in the United States. Um, but what's happening is while most states have some kind of minimum age to where one can get married, almost every single state, if not all, have an exception that says that a parent can sign off on permission for their minor child to get married. Well, what will happen is... Um, this, you know, minor will be abused by an adult and to help cover up any shame or, you know, from like sex outside of marriage or even pregnancy outside of marriage, parents will force their, ch their children under the exception that parents can, um, that parents can sign off on 
to then force their uh, child into a marriage where they will continue to get abused. And so that's, that's something that is already occurring. And so now with this UN document, with now them encouraging exceptions to be put in place for minors to be able to consent because of their growing capacity, um, the same thing uh, can be uh, potentially expected to happen. At the end of the day, though, the UN report is just guidelines and suggestions, though. This isn't hard written law that states and nations must follow this was just a very this just made a very big boom across the globe specifically in the western world where we are able to have these free-flowing discussions well and i think too and like with the timing of this um and even you know our discussion um previously about uh child sexualization in the media I mean, we're seeing this increased sexualization of children. So something like this document is potentially alarming. Um, Any potential for, you know, further continuance of child exploitation or child sexualization being encouraged um, is something that we definitely need to be on the lookout for and to be aware of um, to be able to spot it and then hopefully combat it and have these discussions. Um, about the direction in which we're headed. Yes, it's always so important to talk about everything, not about just data, statistics, and numbers, but about what's actually going on so we can bring that real, real life aspect to the conversation because it's so important. We're seeing it in these reports. We're seeing it in these responses and the outrage. And we need to talk about it. And for all of our listeners, uh, we encourage you to go and research this topic on your own time um, and read, you know, your own um, articles uh, to gain more perspective on this situation. Did you see something that we might have missed? Let us know in the comments. Yeah, and if we get something really good, we'll just, we'll read your explanation and how you took this report in a future episode. All right, everybody. It is now time for today's myth, uh, which is all human trafficking victims are kidnapped and isolated. A more realistic uh, picture of human trafficking is explained by Exodus Road. uh, And we will link their article in the episode description so you can read it. But they reveal that As long as force, fraud, or coercion is present, or the victim is underage, the victim doesn't need to be transported. In instances of cybersex trafficking, for example, a victim may be forced, coerced, or threatened uh, to live stream or record themselves performing sexual acts from a home computer or cell phone. In cases of familial trafficking, it's common for traffickers to pick up their victims from their home and drive them to and from clients or a job site, only to return them home afterwards. Interestingly enough, the Polaris Project also touched on this myth, and they said that the most pervasive myth about human trafficking is that it often involves kidnapping or physically forcing somebody into a situation. But in reality, most traffickers use psychological means such as 
trickery, defrauding, manipulation, or threatening victims into providing commercial sex or exploitative labor. The scary thing about this myth is that human trafficking is the second largest uh, crime globally. And it's actually many times happening like right in plain sight. And it continues to persist every day. So with that being said, I hope this encourages everyone to continue learning about human trafficking, you know, the different types of trafficking and the warning signs, because the more you know, the better chance you have of seeing something and then being able to say something. So you will have the tools and ability to signal for help either through local authorities or the National Human Trafficking Hotline, which we will also link in the description. Since human trafficking is such a large issue and deeply seated into society, I think a lot of people think that there really isn't anything that they can do about it, but there are ways that everybody uh, can contribute. Again, staying informed and learning what to look for and you know, reporting to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. A volunteering for a nonprofit organization dedicated to fighting human trafficking. There are so many, um, including Moms in Security, uh, who take volunteers. You can also donate to nonprofits that provide direct services to survivors. You can create awareness through your social media platforms. Or be a conscious consumer about where the products you purchase are coming from. Labor trafficking is used by many big corporations. And we're actually going to also link an article to help you learn more about which brands don't use labor trafficking. So our episode description is just going to be flooded with links for everybody to check <laughs> out. So please do. These will be very helpful resources. And then communicate what you learn with your friends and spread the word. The more people who are involved in the fight against human trafficking, the more we can make a dent in stopping it. Isabel, thank you for bringing today's myth. It was a very interesting one and a very important one. And thank you to everybody for listening to today's episode. We really enjoyed getting to bring you along our research journey, and we hope that you enjoyed it as well. So please send us any questions you would like us to address to our Traffic Jam account and follow us on all of our social media platforms. Mm-hmm.